You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 131. This week, we are joined by Tarek Patel to break down our first impressions of the new draft set in the form of Bright Lights. Tarek, I want to thank you and welcome you back to the podcast and just give a little update on you. How have you been doing? What have, what's been going on in your life in terms of card games? You've been playing a lot of fab, playing other games, magic. What's up? What's what's new in Tarek Patel's life? Uh, I've been grinding. Um, been working a ton recently, actually. So trying to afford a house, do real life big boy stuff. Uh, haven't had the time to play too much cards, but getting into it, heading into worlds. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Affording a house in 2023. That's uh, that's that's quite that's quite a it's quite a problem set you have in front of you. I've been faced with the same thing, but I've decided to uh, forego that until some major world event maybe flips those prices. Um, so how did you have a chance to play pre-release weekend and then past that how many drafts did you did you get a chance to uh, Get your hands on. So I originally planned to go to pre-release. I actually signed up for like three of them mm-hmm. and unfortunately got called in last second of work. So I had to work the night shift and the weekend. So I wasn't able to play pre-release. Luckily, we found some uh, weekend drafts over the last weekend. Uh, it was Canadian Thanksgiving, so Turkey Day here in Canada. And I got two drafts in. So I've drafted Dash IO once and then Max once as well. So still haven't got the uh, the fabled Teklovasan fatigue strategy mm. yet. But learned a lot. What uh, what are your sort of high level impressions when first interacting with the set? Um, you know, Bright Lights is quite a unique flesh and blood set at that, right? All mechanologists. I mean, this is something we've never seen before in a flesh and blood set. A single a single class set, um, as well as you know a ton of items, the evos, all of these new mechanics. What have been your first impressions on some of those things? My first impressions and something that I'm most excited about is I think the train wreck potential is lower given that there's <laughs> all the cards are basically playable. And uh, recently, you know, what was it, three weeks ago at Nationals, I just needed to win a single round in my last draft to to top eight, and I went 0-3. So to me, that's always been a concern in any kind of draft setting, especially in Flesh and Blood, was how do I avoid train wrecks? And I think Bright Lights gives, us, gives you the option to always have a functional deck. Mm-hmm. Hayden, what about yourself? I know you had a chance to do a couple drafts. Um, not looking for your high-level impressions of the set, but what was your experience uh, drafting for the first time? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I like this format a lot. I think it's, um, I think it's very interesting. I think there's a lot of depth to each of the heroes, which I wasn't expecting. I was expecting maybe like one or may- maybe just one archetype, to be honest, in each mm-hmm. hero. But I think there's a minimum two in each hero, and um, I think. Just, I guess we'll get onto this, but a weapon like Teklo Leveler not being tied to a hero uh, makes other potentials very interesting. I think that goes into what Tarek just said about like train wreck kind of drafts. And I think uh, Teklo Leveler is part of what can help you avoid those potential train wreck drafts, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So maybe a callback to previous sets similar to Tales of Aria, or actually will have archetypes represented within each hero. Is that something that you're seeing emerge? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> good news at that. So, um, Tark, I know you were impacted by this. We 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 didn't talk about this on last week's pod, but you know, obviously, draft fab was taken down, which has limited some people's ability to draft the set. You still can draft it online. You can draft it on TTS. It is a major pain in the butt. I will give you that. <laughs> uh, not the most pleasant experience, but. <clears throat> How do you feel about uh, the removal of draft fab in the context of preparing for events like the World Championships? I know for me, um, I live in Dallas Fort Worth, so my local scene is it's you know there's definitely resources for me to take advantage of. Um, Hayden, you know, lives in sort of a bustling area the the, the same way. But how do you feel looking? <laughs> I mean, you live in Sydney, right, Hayden? Like. It's hard to get a draft going here, to be honest. Oh, shit. People love Constructed. Okay. <laughs> How do you feel, Tarek, leading into the World Championships and preparing for a set like Bright Lights? Are you going to have to utilize uh, local resources? Or like, what is your plan to prepare for a high-level event like that? So I was vocal on Twitter about this, but I'm a believer that technology is the great equalizer. And for me, it's not going to impact too much. I'm lucky to live around you know, a very good group of people. Uh, there's tons of high-level players near me, and I always do like a draft camp or two at my house. We do some barbecue, a hangout, and we'll probably have two of those heading into World. So we'll have some pretty good draft camps heading in and 
you know, we have a pretty good local scene. So me personally, I don't think it'll affect me too much, but um, I think I spoke to this a little bit online was who it'll affect the most are those solo grinders. The people like uh, Evan, for example, from Florida, runner up at, at nationals and then winner of the most recent battle hardened um, and all these names that you're seeing that are coming out of nowhere and aren't fully established yet, but really had the opportunity to grind with other kind of grinders online. I think that's who will impact the most. And um it's kind of disappointing and I'm, I'm curious what behind what transpired behind the scenes to make it happen. Mm, yeah. I mean, we could only speculate, but I assume that it's in some way connected to the bottom line um, and, you know, trying to get players to go to local game stores. Um, I will say though, that I think that all of the, most of the online resources for flesh and blood, whether it be Talishar, uh, felt table, draft app, etc., facilitate the number one thing that is the most important, the number one aspect that is most important to flesh and blood success, which is people playing games of flesh and blood. So I've thought that in the past that these resources were very integral to the game, being able to grow, to be accessible. I mean, one of the things that, you know, flesh and blood does get ragged on uh, a lot about is the price of decks. And these, some of these platforms help you bridge that gap, figure out what hero you want to play, allow you to make mistakes stakes and then maybe commit to a deck um so you don't just have to go in blind trust some random content creator or something like that so i'm disappointed in that sense um but that being said i personally didn't utilize draft fab that much i also have access to draft camps um as well as i know for a lot of us when we go to events like the world championships or pro tours we do tend to go out there a bit early and that's when a lot of that drafting uh tends to happen as well that's usually the refinement process you're not really touching the format for the first time but i am lucky enough to be able to be invited to some of those drafts and get a lot of experience with high level players prior to the event um hayden what are your thoughts um this is probably the first time that i would have used draft fab for preparation for an event uh i'm I think honestly, I mean, I did the two drafts on the weekend. I'll probably get in one or two drafts more before I travel, but I'm traveling for work prior to Worlds. Worlds is going to be a little bit tricky for me, to be honest, in terms of preparation. So realistically, I probably will only get in four physical drafts. So it will massively impact me this time around. Mm -hmm. um, in saying that, I think I agree with you, right? Like one of the most important things is people playing games of flesh and blood, right? And I think particularly for constructive formats, that is very, very important, right? There's, there's barriers to entry, there's things like that. Draft and sealed and limited in general in, in TCGs has, in my view, have a very low barrier to entry, right? You don't have to show up to your locals with, with a constructed deck. You show up with your, your 15 bucks or whatever it is, 20 bucks, whatever it is, <clears throat> and you do your draft. And I think that is a building block of local game stores and how you build a community and how you can easily get people into the game uh, and get people into your store. So I think I understand from their perspective why, you know, this like you say bottom line impact things like that i can understand why this has been people are saying you know if this has gone why isn't telashar why isn't all these other uh i guess clients tts etc whatever um i think i can see pretty directly the impact that the draft have fab has on i guess getting people into the local game store from their perspective whether mm -hmm. that's true or not it's i'm not not here to speculate on that um but yeah it will impact my preparation for the first time i well, i'm not particularly a big fan of the the online platforms i don't play Telashar really as, as much as I can avoid it. Um, I don't use the draft fab format, but I, I, a platform, but I understand why people want it and why it's helped people prepare and especially people who don't have access to that. I mean, it's definitely hard personally to organize drafts to a degree in, in our community. I mean, there's definitely sort of like maybe 10 to 12 people who are really keen to draft, but you need eight of those people to be able to get together on a, a specific day um, and, and do potentially two or three drafts if you can. So that, that has been a little more difficult. But also, I mean, personally, I just love having cardboard in my hands. That's why I play TCGs. So um, from my perspective, you know, I, I think protecting that element as much as possible makes sense to me. But I can, I can really see both sides to it for sure. Yeah. And to build on that, if you don't mind, just real quick. I think everybody agrees with you, Hayden. Like, even though I utilized draft app in the past, I don't think anybody would prefer to do an online draft compared to a real life draft. Yeah. So, and this is kind of touches on what I mentioned earlier, whereas I think the only people utilizing that resource are the people that absolutely need to use it. And I think that disproportionately hurts them. But uh, I've heard that bottom line argument that you mentioned earlier, Brendan. It's definitely a speculation. That That's what I was going to clarify after Hayden said is like, it is 100% a speculation that that is the motivation. Sure. And the assumption there is that um, DraftFab was cannibalizing a market share that, that would have, if DraftFab didn't exist, 
go play in a game store. And I'm assuming they had data to back, if that was the reason, right? The reason is speculation. It cannibalizing the, the market is a speculation. All of it is, um, is we don't know if it's fact, right? That, that's just what we assume. My tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, and keep in mind, I don't have any information just like Brendan or, or Hayden, but I think it's very similar to what Wizards of the Coast did a couple of years ago with the online deck publishing, where to me, this seems more about information. They don't want the draft format to be solved as quickly, mm-hmm. and I think they want to reduce the overall number of iterations. That's my personal that theory. If I was a fly on the wall, I'd be curious to see what the discussions were behind this uh, decision. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I mean, you know, as much as... Obviously, there's going to be different feelings about the situation. At the end of the day, this is Legend Story Studios IP, right? And to to have allowed people to create these platforms and 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 use the IP is is a is a privilege, right? And so, as much as I feel for the people involved, and then also for the people who have, like you say, I agree. Like if there's people out there, it's their only chance to draft that. That really does suck, right? There's a big impact. I would. To be honest, I would question that a little bit, Tarek. Like, I know firsthand a lot of people who also have the opportunity to draft in person who also have been using this tool. So I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's a hundred percent that right. But I, I do agree there is there is a big portion of people who will be impacted by that. Um, but hopefully, I mean, if I'm looking for a silver lining in that, right, it is they try and then go into their local LGSs and build the community themselves where possible. I know that's, I'm not saying that's, you know, everyone should be able to do that. But if they can, then that's an, an amazing outcome of it. Um, silver lining, right? But. Yeah. I don't know what the opposite of a silver lining is, but whatever that is. Um, toilet the, bowl, mate. Toilet bowl, yeah. So the, the toilet bowl <laughs> of it is that other platforms that we use might be subject to the same takedown in the future. So things like Talishar, which I think is a great benefit to the game, um, is a great advertisement and resource for the game. But this... This takedown draft fab does, in a sense, and not 100%, right? Not even 50%, right? It does foreshadow potentially that some of those resources could go away in the future and that they are subject to the same rules that everybody else is because it's written very clear that these things are not explicitly allowed and can be taken down at any time. So, yeah. I have a quick question before we move on. Tark, did you ever play Magic during the days of like... um Magic Workstation and Cockatrice and uh, the, the basically the same platforms that existed in the, the early days of Magic the Gathering? You mean when I was poor and I couldn't afford to play Magic online? Yeah, yeah. I played them. <laughs> yeah, I played yeah, them too. Same, same. So I, I, I've experienced that before in the... So I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic in, in, in that, that way, right? I, I, I do... I have experienced those days as well, right? So... Yeah, like you say, I, I, I think Brendan nailed it, right? Like the first, the most important first thing is like people playing games of flesh and blood, right? So that needs to be protected some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I also played a shitload of Cockatrice, to be honest. And I, again, like it's funny because I always have to talk about this when I have like some sort of retrospective on Magic, but I never played Magic. Like I never played it uh, competitively. I never went to events, etc. But I've played most draft formats. Oh, not most, but a lot of draft formats in Magic Gathering, like a shitload of them on Cockatrice using draft simulators. So I'll go back and do like some throwback draft. And I don't know, that's just fun to me to experience a set for the first time. Um, so I have used those platforms a lot. And one of the, you know, some people did raise that about the um, draft fab being taken down is now realistically or sort of reasonably being able to draft some of those older sets that are out of print. Um, you will no longer really have access to that outside of something like TTS. So being able to draft like Welcome to Wraith, um, Arcane Rising, and then, you know, we extrapolate that two, three, four years down the line. Um, it only sort of compounds that issue. Um, those are great draft formats. They're fun to do. It's fun to have throwback drafts. Um, but yeah, I digress. Boxes under the beard, mate. Boxes under the beard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anybody's looking for Monarch First Edition for draft, hit me. <laughs> No, I never want to draft Monarch ever again. So don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, God. All Tarek right. doesn't want to either. I can feel it. I can see it. <laughs> um, all right. I want to tangent a little bit more before we dive into the weeds of the draft formats, the heroes, key, key cards, key strategies, wins, etc. So high level, looking at the impact of Bright Lights on the class constructed meta so far. It's early days. Very early days. Card availability is going to be an issue. People figuring out the deck's going to be an issue, etc. But... It looks like we have a set that might not be having a massive impact on the current state of Classic Constructed. I want to get your thoughts, Tara, because we've talked with you specifically on this podcast about Flesh and Blood in terms of uh, potentially having a rotating format and you know some of the how some of these sets don't have the impact that maybe the developers were hoping and there, there is sort of this ad hoc or there's this interesting layer of rotation in the form of living legend etc um so i don't know how to distill that into a singular question but i want to get your initial thoughts on the impact of bright lights on the class constructed meta or maybe the lack thereof 
Uh, headed into Dallas with Lexi still legal, I think the impact on the classic constructed metagame will be very minimal for Taipei and the calling Dallas. Uh, once Lexi subsequently rotates, I believe we're going to get that announcement in two to three weeks as of right now. Um, old bets are off, but you really have to find a mathematical basis to play New Age Flesh and Blood. So when I'm looking at the heroes on my other screen here, I think Dash.io has the most potential to do something you know, substantially better than the average rate of cards, given that she's able to play free items off the top of her deck. But even then, you have to ask the question, you know, can I beat the other established tier one decks that currently exist, aka Icelander and Dromai, uh, when she rotates? And I think that's going to be a tall order. It seems that ever since we moved to kind of Flesh and Blood 2, the action points get more and more restrictive and the damage output kind of drops off. So we'll see. Maybe there's some combination of cards we haven't figured out yet, but at first glance, kind of dubious. How do you both feel as entrenched players, <clears throat> players that are being played, players that have been playing Flesh and Blood for a long time, um, when a new set comes out and doesn't really have that impact on the metagame and shake up the you know the metagame like it potentially could? Does how does it make you feel just as a player that's been playing Flesh and Blood for a long time, where this crazy new awesome set comes out? There's Evos, there's you know there's Future Sight on a stick, which is Dash IO kind of um but it's still just lexi jermai icelander i just want to get like your your initial kind of emotional feelings as players like are you happy about it are you kind of bummed like do you have any solutions that are sort of floating around your head is living legend enough etc hey nolly you go first um i think for me the main thing is this happening honestly multiple times mm. in the past 12 months i think it's been the biggest impact so i've kind of felt this way with dynasty to a degree right and then you have outsiders and then now you have dust of dawn and then you have uh bright lights and the impact of each of those sets has been fairly minimal right like the the best heroes in the format i mean obviously okay so lexi right so obviously um outsiders dynasty right dynasty yeah dynasty introduces the tome what the tome the what's the card the zero cost yellow card codex the codex right so that comes in dynasty right so dynasty has an impact from like a what it does to to a particular deck right and it kind of shapes the format for the next six months and then you have outsiders which i mean realistically unless i'm forgetting something right doesn't have much of an impact on on the format obviously introduces azuri but doesn't really live up to i guess the the hype of what we thought it could be and then you have dust of dawn which honestly has zero impact right like that's one has had the most the least impact of any set we've seen so far right and then bright lights has so far from what we've seen i think i agree with Tarek and what he just said in his assessment that it's going to have very minimal impact for the next two callings and the lead in two worlds now once lexi living legends that can be completely different right and i think this mix set looks very interesting dash i agree on like the of the three heroes dash io looks the most interesting um i think normal like original dash could be in a, actually a reasonable spot kind of mm -hmm. now or even towards worlds um but yeah i mean as a player that's played the game for a while like i want these sets to have reasonably big impact like i want it to shake up the meta i don't want just living legend to do that i want the sets themselves to do that um maybe not massively not entirely change the landscape of the format i still want people to be able to play the decks i still want to play the decks that i like but i would like a little bit more impact and freshness ideally I'm I'm gonna give a hot take. I'm probably gonna insult some people, but people whine so goddamn much. It's like I know we're like the TikTok generation, and our attention span has to like change every couple seconds. But like, just because a new set comes out doesn't mean the metagame has to do a complete 180 every time a new set's released. So from that point of view, like I don't care that a new set came out and we're still playing the same like three four heroes. That's usually how TCGs work until like something happens or like a fundamental change happens. I'm okay with a slow burn over time as a player. Uh, weaker sets, you know, getting added to the pool. Eventually, something will change. Lexi will, blah, blah, blah. Mech will get a boost. And we'll be looking at deeper car pools over a long period of time. Where I take issue, and I think store owners and, you know, casual players might feel the same way, is that I think the nuggets aren't there for the box. And what I mean by that is when you go and buy a box of cards for $100, right? Especially in this economy, you know, and you open a box and you're not pulling anything of substantial you know impact or value for any class not just the theme of the set i think that lies in the problem like i'm okay if dust to dawn the two new heroes didn't have any impact in classic constructed but i think there should always be like a high chase 
for majestic for like brutes or azalea or lexi or whatever class so that when people open boxes at least like 50 percent of the time they're getting like something worth out of their box mm. if that makes any sense i don't think it should be a, a box of just like deflating like maybe this will be good in three years when the metagame rotates mm. how do you achieve that though if you don't power creep how do you make sure that that card that azalea card that brute card that chase card is actually a good card in flesh and blood because flesh and blood is let's say quantitatively balanced game it's a strictly balanced game that when you have to power creep to guarantee that happens I think it's possible. I mean, you look at Swing Big in, uh, was it Everfest for Brutes? Mm-hmm. I think that added some move to that deck without breaking it. So I think there's like, you could do like a couple of cards to that degree that aren't like codex level, but just a little bit below that. And then like you kind of give every class like something to kind of chase for in a box, even if it's mechanologist theme, which I, th- I guess they tried to do with the, um, I don't know what they call the extra sheet, but it looks like they tried to do that. It, it didn't necessarily take, you know, some of them are kind of duds. Some of them are pretty good, um, but it's tough. Like it's not an easy job. It's easy. We're, we're sitting on the couch, you know, criticizing LSS who, who's doing it. But at the same time, it is an issue that you can't have people spend hundreds of dollars for boxes and then only get, you know, a 20% return if that on, on their investment. I can't imagine I, that that is the. Uh, sorry, Hayden. I can't imagine that having sets release, um, especially in sequence of one another, with minimal to no impact in the classic constructed meta, is benefiting them from a business sense more than it would be if that was not the case, right? Because in all the TCGs, we tend to see new sets come out and like they usually push design a little bit. Like there's there's a reason to buy the new set rather than just draft a set and, you know, it has impact. And whether that's recurring in a game that has rotating formats like standard um, or the sets are just power crept a bit and people are incentivized to buy them. Having three, four sets in a row where that is not the case, where the, you know, maybe there's a card or two you want. Um, even in Outsiders, your upgrades to, to Lexi, like it's just over overwhelmingly a better decision to buy singles which <clears throat> let's be real might be that might be in every case might be better to buy singles i can't imagine that is like there that's happening uh and lss can mean like yes great that's a win i think that they want these sets to have impact i think these sets are designed to have impact it's just like they're getting math checked by lexi and by jermai and icelander hayden you were saying well i i think just on that part that's that's a concession in the the latest kind of living legend changes a little bit and although i I understand what they want to print more heroes for future but um you know no changes and let potentially lexi and icelander move themselves out that's how i said anyway um i I think Tarek puts that really well in terms of like what value needs to be there for the players and i do think that at least from my perspective like these being limited sets or limited playable sets does help that to a degree and i think Mm -hmm. you you talked about the expansion slot and I, I think you already kind of said your your opinion on it. You know, some will hit, some will not. Um, I I think that's a a good piece to to put in to try and drive that. And again, I know they're trying different things, right? And I, I really appreciate that. But I think you kind of said it best around like players need to have cards that are that are playable. Like you can talk as much kind of like smack as you want about Everfest and kind of some of those cards. But that was a set that people wanted to open. There were and people still want to open it. There's cards in there that you know have value to people and their cards that they're going to put in their deck um immediately like right now right so uh, i think there needs to be this balance and it's it's tough um i am glad that we're getting more limited playable sets because i think that just increases obviously the, the playability of the the product in general um you know i i I haven't even bothered sorting out my Duster Dawn stuff. It's just sitting there. I'm just, I just can't bother it. Like, it's not, <laughs> I'm not trying to put it in decks, so I'm yeah. just going to sit in this box and I'll sort it out later. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's the feeling I I'm have doing the, the same thing. I'm doing the same <laughs> thing. I didn't know if it was because I had just been uh, collecting Flesh and Blood for so long and I have so many freaking boxes of cards. And, it, it, like, the collection itself really starts to weigh on you because it's it's just, it, it feels like it's a lot to maintain, especially when you move places every year, which Hayden and I just tend I've to sort of my bright lights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've sort of my bright lights. But. Yeah, but I've also in some of those sets, like I just left them clumped up, and they're kind of just bulk. And it's like, yeah, if it ever comes back around, I guess I'll sort through this at some time. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I think that there's a lot of questions being asked in terms of design with Flesh and Blood being eternal from the onset, and then you know, looking forward, it's like because a lot of the sets you're describing, <clears throat> we talk about Everfest, like those, some of those cards are borderline power creep like those are really powerful cards and it's like where do we end up do we want balanced sets um that run the risk of not having an impact on flesh and blood or on the class constructed metagame or do we want some of these cards to be power cup a little bit so we have cards to chase or <laughs> do we want to rotate <laughs> which is you know we don't get into that today um we, 
we also have to be fair to them because the elephant in the room is that if they go the other direction, people start crying that they printed broken cards mm-hmm. and da, da, da. And then, you know, they do the opposite. And now it's like, well, where's the value? So it feels like a lose-lose situation for them. And we have to be fair and at least yeah. acknowledge that. I, I think I am being fair because I do think the power creep, I, I think that's a very fair criticism, right? But I'm willing to answer that question. I'm willing to answer the question of which one is better. And I think the power creeping one, um, you know, slight, not ridiculous, is better. I think it's better to have sets that have an impact, even if you run the risk of disrupting the balance slightly, right? You know, you have cards that are a little bit above rate. I think that overall, it leads to a much more, f- it leads to sort of a fresher metagame and a better experience as an entrenched player, as a player that plays flesh and blood on the regular, that's waiting, you know, that's playing from set to set. I would rather them power creep a little bit and have new cards to engage with that impact the format than the opposite. So while I think it's a fair criticism, I'm happy to I'm happy to address that elephant in the room and say, I believe that the other approach um, might be more entertaining as a player. Is it healthier for the game in a 10-year lifespan? Probably not. I don't know. That's that's the hard question. I mean flesh and blood is they're trailblazing they're trailblazing to an extent. Because they are their their design or their development uh, sort of tenants and how they design cards is very strict and they are they maintain a lot of integrity integrity with that and they sort of keep cards within a very specific range right um, it's like you know we're gonna see as flesh and blood grows and becomes that five year game that ten year game if that is the philosophy that we can we can stay with and maybe living legend does that I think Derek's right though like got to got to be fair and I think uh, you know want to make sure that comes across from us is that. Yeah, we all love the game. We're playing the game. We really enjoy it. We're just talking about the kind of pros and cons of some of these things and, and what that means. Um, but I mean, just to, I guess, tangent, I'm probably talking about the draft when we're here, but I'm super excited about this new product and form of bright lights and what that's going to mean for draft. I'm, you know, really optimistic as we head towards Worlds that we're going to have a very enjoyable uh, draft format at, at Worlds for sure. Yeah, we're definitely we're definitely um, comfy couch Cheeto crusted philosophers. Like you know, <laughs> we're not out there doing the work. Um, anyway, let's talk about the draft form. Let's talk about some keys to win. So Hayden, just zooming out, um, you know, if we extrapolated sealed to draft, which is I think a fallacy to do, right? It's not going to be a one to one conversion. But if we did, and this has happened in sets in the past, sometimes the heroes that are very powerful in sealed do translate to being extremely powerful in draft. Uh, if we look back at the most recent sealed experience of bright lights i think a lot of people would agree that tekel Vossen emerged as one of the more powerful decks you can engage with at least the floor was very low um how do you feel like that translated into the draft format i think the most direct translation is that defending is is good like defending is 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 good in this format in terms of like that the value of a card is um like you've got to be value careful of the the value of a, a card and deck so like boosting does really come at a cost and i think it's going to take a while for people to adjust to that in both the sealed and the draft format just the limited format in general so the the value of a of a card in your deck is is higher than it has been in previous formats even honestly even even outsiders because you could just like play random cards for defensive purposes whereas like i think in the draft format here so in the seal format i think it was like correct to just play like 40 cards or somewhere 37 to 40 depending on what hero you're playing in the draft format that's not necessarily true there's there's archetypes within so you can be building into the different heroes that you want to and the different archetype within those heroes and the the card quality in each of your hand is going to be uh, very relevant whereas i think in sealed it was a little less relevant that the synergies weren't as important in, in sealed for bright lights that was my takeaway anyway and it's more important in draft but there's still the value of a, a card on on defense is still really high especially if your opponent is uh you know playing something like a, a one for four boost card that's taking a card out of the deck and then coming for four if you defend that for three you leak a damage and they still have two resources left but they've lost two cards from from the deck to your one and that's actually a little bit um i think the weight on that defensive card is a little bit better than maybe i, I thought it might have been in the draft format that's not to say that every game is going to go to fatigue or even a lot of the games i think as people work out the archetypes um my view so far is that this fatigue is going to be and there's going to be an element to it for sure depending on the heroes you're, you're playing with um but also there's a lot of ways to get around fatigue for instance if i use like just a quick example like dash io and the rare loop items those are for instance um fuel injector uh, fuel, fuel fuel injector for instance is an amazing card that's a very much anti-fatigue card in in draft and is a very high pick i think because of that uh, for dash io it's one of the best cards i think you can see early to, to get yourself to dash io mm-hmm. i'm just going to read out fuel injector because it is a newer set and newer cards so fuel injector is a mechanologist item at rare uh it costs zero pitches for blue and it says instant put this on the bottom of its under stack gain a resource so this is a sort of a loop that's preventing you from Absolutely. fatiguing mm-hmm. 
Tark, uh, what are your thoughts on initial thoughts on the amount of cards that's maybe correct to play in this format? Are you playing? Uh, I mean, is there a specific number you're looking for? Are you playing all of your playables? Like, what have been your impressions with sort of card count and deck count in this format? Can I, can I answer that? I want to hear what Tarek thinks about what I just said as well, <laughs> just in okay. general. All right, all right. Break, uh, distill it into a dist- distill it into questions so you can remember. <laughs> I have the bad habit of asking like 50 questions, being like, okay, go. Go ahead. Aiden. Which particular point, Aiden? Sorry. I just... I just think in general, if you if you have any comments on what I just said uh, in general, then I'd love to, to hear your feedback. Like, do you think, fati- okay, the main thing is, do you think fatigue is actually as relevant in draft as it is in, in sealed? Yeah, so in this format, like I said before, I didn't actually get to play a pre-release um, like you did. So true, from true. the very grapevine, you know, from what people told me, all I heard was Teclavos and fatigue, Teclavos and fatigue. That was the thing to be doing. In my experience in the two drafts I did, I did not reach fatigue in any of my matches. Um, I was able to kill my opponents uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, one with Max, one with Dash. And one of my... Now, keep in mind, my understanding of the set is purely theory. Like, I studied the set, obviously, going into the season. And I've done two drafts. But from what I've noticed is that I think LSS have done a really good job where the block threes are at a premium, even in the blue spot. There are a lot of no blocks that have to be played in multiple decks. So the opportunity cost for decks to just go full fatigue isn't as high as it was in, say, like Assassin Outsiders. I actually think Assassin Outsiders had a, you know, a higher risk where Ranger didn't have a weapon. It could literally just, you just needed to beat like 35 cards and you'd win the game. Uh, with Dash, there's opportunities to kind of load up pistols and then strip cards away after you've leaked damage in, in the late game. So I know there's this narrative that fatigue is a very big thing going into it and obviously i agree when you're boosting the number of cards obviously matters and i think brendan you kind of alluded to that just now when you asked me my question i would still play almost every card you draft um you know definitely over 30 if you can just because of the boost mechanic and if you're attacking at all you want that extra cushion when you are boosting but at first glance, I think there's enough two blocks, and if you draft enough high-rate red cards, you can leak through enough damage, and the fact that every hero functionally has a weapon means that it shouldn't go to fatigue if my theory math kind of worked out. And, and the, to be fair, my practice kind of played out like my theory did, so I am not as worried in draft, but time will tell. What sort of cards are you prioritizing in the early picks of Bright Lights Draft? Are you looking for equipment? Um, Are there specific non-committal cards you're looking for? Are there power cards you're looking for? Are you you really first picking that fuel injector if you see it early? Hayden, what's been your experience for sort of cards that you would pick super early or just like a category of cards that you're looking for early? Um, there's a, there's a few different categories actually. So I think there's some sign postcards that are really important to particular archetypes and heroes. And I think those will become more solidified as we understand what the archetypes are within each hero. I have some theories, which I'm happy to talk about, for instance, on a hero like Max, which is the one I've probably explored the most from a theory standpoint to kind of Tarek's point. I've also played a, a draft with it and, um, Weirdly, my deck looked phenomenal and ended up being absolutely trash when I played it, which has um, been one of my favorite learnings so far in the draft. I love that. Um, but I think, yeah, so there's a few categories. There's just g- good generic cards. And uh, Tara kind of alluded to that with like just good on rate, like red cards that are, that are powerful. And the ones that don't boost in particular, uh, I think uh, are going to still be good. So the classic, right? Just classic flesh and blood. You're two for sevens, right? Like if I look at particularly the galvanized card, I can't remember the name. Sorry, I think it's something Titan. It's a two, it's a three card, a three resource seven attack that has galvanized two. It's like infused titanium or something. I'll get yeah, it here in a yeah, second. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Um, like that that kind of card is like a really safe reasonable first pick you're going to play in all of your decks and it's going to do the thing that you want it to do yeah it's called infused titanium uh, it's going to do the thing you want it to do um, beyond that there's some cards that are good rate red cards that are a little bit uh, more risky like they're going to be better in certain archetypes like um, junkyard dog for instance that's a two two card six that can be a two card seven and scraps that's phenomenal in tech Austin, right a card that scraps and, and does a good on rate attack for instance so those kind of cards um, I, I think just yeah, just good on-rate red cards are going to be easy first picks. But then there's, yeah, there's, there's like signpost cards, these cards that you're going to want in your particular archetypes. And I think easy to draft those. It kind of, these are more like, so I would see those more like generics, right? Those kind of cards I just talked about. And then if I'm comparing this to a traditional draft set, the cards I'm going to talk about next, these are more like your class-specific cards. So you're taking like a bit of a risk on them straight up. They might not even make every deck you play in this format, depending on the hero. And in some heroes, you might play them, but they might just be whatever, right? They might be 
bad to average cards, but in the right archetype and hero, they, these might be the best cards. These are going to be your A's, the cards are going to define. So I kind of equate these to class cards a little bit. For instance, I just use Fuel Injector for Dash IO. I think that is like a, a, re a really powerful card that I, I really want in, in my Dash, dash IO. Um, I think you're going to see some... Um, I guess some cards like, for instance, like Jumpstart, if I end up a max, like a, you know, a one for five boost card at red is, is, is really powerful. But for instance, a two for five in other decks is a lot less exciting, even though I'm still gonna play it. So um, there's there's a lot of cards like these, like some of the particular scrap cards uh, for Teclavos and some of the particular items for Dash IO. Um, th these are the ones that I think you're going to, yeah, they're gonna be really, really premium in certain archetypes, but then are gonna be less relevant in certain decks. So there's, I see those as kind of the two the two pathways when it comes to um, cards that I'm looking to first pick, whether to hedge a, hedge a pick, maybe I don't end up playing it or it's not as most powerful, or I just go, you know, there's a, a pretty strong card that's gonna go in all my decks in here and I'll take that. And I think it's gonna depend on, like there'll be a bit of a pick order, I think, and it's gonna really depend on, on how you like to draft this format. Staying open to a degree might end up being really good. Mm. going into a, a, an archetype early or at least hedging it might be really good it's hard to know right now one thing i will say though on cards that i'm looking for early i'm not and this might be a little bit of bias i'm not particularly looking for majority of the evos early i think early on people's first impression was like we're gonna head to this draft and evos are just gonna be like first pick cards for instance i, I don't think that's true i think some of the evos are particularly ones that are gonna be for teclavosin but ones that you want in, I, I don't really think you want Evos in Max, to be honest, but Evos that you might want in um, Dash, because there is a couple, um, or there might be a leveler Max deck, but anyway, um, the the ones that you want for Dash, for instance, I think those aren't even necessarily higher picks. They are kind of like mid-pack picks. So I do just want to point, point that out. Mm. Yeah, some of the other cards I was, I mean, I was looking at in terms of payoff, like you talked about Jumpstart and Max. I was wondering about Evo upgrade cards. And oh, yeah, Lawson. all the Evo upgrade cards. Okay, because those cards look freaking ridiculous. <laughs> those. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, 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 the funny thing about Evo upgrade cards, like outside of Liquid uh, Liquid Cooled Mayhem, uh, the floor on these cards is actually pretty good, right? Like if you had to play a two card six, uh, and that's like the worst yeah, yeah. case. Like, the box three. Yeah, box three. <laughs> yeah all day. <laughs> um, interesting. Tark, what heroes did you have a chance to draft specifically? So I drafted Dash and actually Max. And funny enough, my draft was very similar to Hayden's where I thought I drafted like a really good Max deck with a bunch of big shots and burn rubbers. And it just didn't end up working like I thought it would. And I think my big takeaway from drafting Max is I probably want to prioritize zeros and one-costed cards higher um, to get kind of like a Wounded Bull turn cycle earlier until I get enough... Um, hyper drivers on board to be able to play my more expensive cards so if i were to redo the draft again i would definitely be taking um you know the one for f one for fours or zero for threes um i can't think of all the names right now i'm still kind of learning the card names i apologize for that but uh, a little bit higher because the the idea would be you block with two cards being six you come in with like a one for four with go again and then you still get to shoot the pistol for three so you have functionally like a two card seven plus a two card block six and you're getting a hyper driver out of it which is a free resource for next turn so you're able to kind of still produce like very above rate above rate for draft turns early game and then when you eventually draw into your one or two of big shots or burn rubbers then you're able to play it off of just yellows or, or blues and really kind of push through big damage turns and i don't think i appreciated that much when i was first drafting the deck i just took every big payoff i could thinking like oh, i'll just have infinite resources because i'll just make a hyperdriver every turn and that that doesn't end up being the case mm. how do you find yourself utilizing the uh, hero ability on max uh most often in draft do you find yourself cranking the hyperdriver most of the time she play it or do you play it at the potentially near the end of the combat chain so that you can circle back to it with the multiple counters right now you know especially being newer to the draft format i i go by the kiss philosophy where it's just keep it simple stupid so you know i i was always cranking because i always wanted that pistol shot damage right mm -hmm. and if you don't crank you don't get it so i think for me in my head teclo and dash are here and max is just a step behind it right now because i qu haven't quite figured it out um using a weapon every turn and this is just a generality in flesh and blood is always a plus because it's a free card for fatigue purposes it's a free damage and like if you can shoot a weapon every turn if a game is ever threatened to go to fatigue like that's how you beat fatigue and with max i think he has the most prohibitive weapon out of the other you know two heroes so for him i was cranking every chance i got and firing the pistol 
Mm-hmm. Was it a pistol or a gun? I don't know. It's a, I think it's a, it's a hammer. wrench. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I was wrench, firing it every, every time I could. All right, Hayden, um, I want to ask you the same question in regards to yeah. hyperdrivers, but also ask you um, about items in general in Max and how many items you're looking to draft and what items specifically you're really looking out for. Yeah, I want to build a bit specifically on what Tark was talking about with the hero ability. But yeah, Banksy is a wrench, by the way. So you can't you can't pummel that shit. Uh, <laughs> or raise a reflex it or whatever. Um, I think to I was doing the same thing. I was like, okay, I want to get value out of my weapon, right? Like this feels like the best way I can make sure that I can avoid fatigue. I pull cards out of my opponent's hand because they have to block this, or I'm gonna get a counter on my my hyperdriver, right? Which then effectively gives me like uh, you know, then I'm getting, I'm gaining value now as opposed to just trading resources for resources. I'm now actually gaining, um, or even actually trading down on resource. I'm because effectively the weapon costs two at that point, right? Um, so I want to trade up my resource by doing that. But if you're not hitting and they're just drawing a card every time because you're not pushing any other breakpoints to push damage, you're losing a card when you boost. You come in with a zero for three or a one for four, whatever it is. They block one card on that. They leak a damage. You've lost two cards from your deck. They've lost one card, and then they block on your um, your wrench with a card. And now you're down a resource. And actually what happens is you can, that's how you can actually fatigue is, is with that game plan, I think. And also they're gaining value on each of your turn cycles, uh, potentially, because you're paying effectively two for your weapon, which then starts to limit what you can do with those big turns. And saying that, I think what, I, that, and that's what I was doing as well. And I was like, fuck, this deck feels terrible. I think I went one, two with, with my, my max deck. But what I kind of found afterwards was I kind of sat down and went through this and like rebuilt the deck. And I think I agree with Tarek on like, you play a lot of the cards you draft. There is a problem with that, right? Is that if you play all the cards you draft, like it is harder to get these hands together that can push damage. And in a deck like Max, you need to be able to push good damage turns to be able to get through because you're boosting a lot more than most of the other decks. Your value comes in the boost and the crank. Um, so I think there's a couple of like archetypes and you asked about items, Brendan. I think there's one archetype that uses items a lot more in... Um, in max for the crank ability to turn on your weapon so you're not losing cards from your deck you're gaining some value with an item uh, and then you're you're effectively not having to pay two resources for your weapon so i think there's a bit of an archetype there i think this archetype looks a lot more value based to be honest and it's trying to set up particular um like items like i think items of particular interest there are like some of the protocols for instance um i think it is i think hadron collider is like is just mm-hmm. going to be good in those kind of archetypes anyway uh, either as a pump or um well always a pump but whether it's to pump immediately or whether it's to set up Uh, and i think this deck can do set up pretty well because you can like play an item you can crank it or you can hyperdrive crank it play the item and pass and you can set up these big five card turns and it's kind of hard to punish that to be honest especially like a deck like dash like doesn't actually use five cards that well um even teclo early on doesn't necessarily use the the full five card hand that that well before the weapon has go again um so i think that's kind of how max can set up in one one aspect and then the other one i think is this like just kind of all to the wall like maximum uh aggro deck which looks like basically i think as many of the and it's you really need a high density of red cards because you need to play more than 30 cards but you need a really high density of these cards and you're basically like um you're just rather than looping the hyperdriver every turn for value you're actually just like barely you're only using the the hero bleed i think to set up big turns and the other time you're just like boosting through to push like two or three points of damage and then on these big turns maybe it's something with like a boom grenade turn that you set up the turn before arsenal a really high value red card or something like the the burn rubbers and big shots these sorts of things then you set up this like 20 kind of you know 18 to 20 damage push turns and you you push the rest of the damage that way i think those are the kind of two archetypes i found with max so far but i mean subject to change a little bit i think what heroes, if if your pods were played out, um, ended up going undefeated in y'all's pods? Funny enough, I actually went undefeated my first draft with Dash IO. So I had, like was reading every card. I had to figure out what was going on. But uh, Dash IO went undefeated, and I believe Teklovas went undefeated on the second one. Dash is good, man. Like, yeah, we'll th- talk about we'll my, talk about Dash. Yeah, we got to talk about Dash. I I drafted Dash in the first draft, and my only loss was to the other Dash, um, who may have may not have been Sasha Markovic. Uh, <laughs> but I think the first one was won by Max, uh, our, in our draft, and he had a very like high density of just good red boost cards, and just went like just was just like flipping cards basically, like he was playing just like I don't know blindfolded chain mm-hmm. or something. Um, and then the second draft, I think, was won by Ticklevossen in our draft. I think mm-hmm. with uh, like a, I think one of two Ticklevossens with a, a very good, a very good deck. All right, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about Dash, but first we're gonna talk about Ticklevossen. So y'all check me on this one, but I feel like my hot take would be that Ticklevossen is like the 
one of the better aggro decks in the format, like maybe better than Max being the aggro deck. Um, because it's able to boost so aggressively and get value out of the cards. It's weird when I feel like uh one of the things I hear associated with this format constantly is Teclavas and Fatigue. But I feel like the best way to play the hero is not fatigue. It, it can fatigue your opponent as a result of how it plays, but the best way to play the hero is to boost away evos and then play them and draw a card off them. So effectively get card advantage off the evos. Um, what are y'all's sort of takeaways of Teclavasen in drafts? I know neither of y'all drafted him, but playing against it, what were your thoughts? Uh, go ahead, Dane. I just... Mine's pretty brief. I, I think there's multiple archetypes to, to take levels in, in, in draft. But I think one thing that'll make, maybe make you rethink that is, Brendan, is when you draw multiple evos in a hand and um, you you can't continue with the strategy you were playing before. That's, that's similar. It, it looked kind of clunky and past like the fatigue aspect of it, it doesn't threaten much offensively. And when you're constantly on the back foot, especially if your opponent is cognizant of how much they're boosting, blocking takes more cards than mm-hmm. you know attacking does. Um, and it never seemed to come together in a draft strategy. Now, it, it could be because we're in the early days and draft is ultimately self-correcting. If everybody's going in with the mindset they want to fatigue, maybe the just the fatigue cards weren't as you know available uh, because we're early and it'll pick up once people kind of move away from that. But my first takeaway was exactly what Hayden said, where they drew multiple evil cards. It gets kind of clunky. They have to take a more defensive aspect, but they've already leaked some amount of damage. And then it's, it's not really possible to just fatigue you with a weapon. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely have to put it to the test. My theory of tech of would be to draft uh, maybe six to seven evos, ideally getting the four slots, maybe eight, who knows? Um, the blue ones are really nice because you can pitch them if you do draw multiples. I would take outside of that, I would take almost exclusively aggressive red boost cards if I could get them. You know, the best boost cards I could get. Uh, and then a couple Evo upgrade cards to get value in the late game or, you know, whenever I can. And that would likely go for a more boost oriented strategy, trying to play those Evos out of Banished Sun or out of Graveyard. If I, I mean, ideally, you don't really want to block with them unless you have the three block and you have a nice scrap for it. Um, but that, that would have been my first approach. So I'll have to test that. Anyway. Let's get into dash. I think that's an archetype. I think that's an archetype, by the way. Like, like definitely. Like, maybe we can just because I, I feel like obviously we have the least experience with Tickler Boston, but maybe just not to just completely um, breeze past him entirely. I, I do think there's there is multiple archetypes within Tickler Boston, and Tickler Boston I think has the um, honestly I think it your draft can train wreck the most as Tickler Boston. I think. But also, he might be the safest to draft. Like, he might have the highest floor. It's kind of odd. Like, I think it's sometimes you can actually just get, you know, because I think there's multiple archetypes. There's like this one that's like more scrap based. I do think there is a more boost based one. I think there is one that is a lot more defensive with more block cards, for instance. Um, before when I was talking about Max as well, that value deck, I think, really utilizes block cards, by the way. Block cards are, I think, fascinating in this format. I think they're some of the most interesting cards we've seen in a long time for Limited. Um, but yeah, I think. Teclavossen, you can potentially get cut from like all the good scrap cards, for instance, and be trying to draft this like value oriented Teclavossen, and your 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 draft could potentially train wreck. But at the same time, I think to Tarek's earlier point about this format maybe being the least train wrecky format because Teclavossen has like like a reasonably high floor with the weapon and just being able to draft kind of like random evos. I think you can still put something together. Um, but I think the power of your you know chasing that three zero draft with Teclavossen sometimes can be can be a bit tough. Uh, potentially mm. and you might get cut out of the archetype you're trying to draft you might have to pivot a little bit and go into a different archetype but there is definitely you know he can even utilize some of the, the items like reasonably well with interaction so um with the evos for instance so like it, it there's yeah it's really interesting and also i think this is something that came out of our draft and this was said by some of the, the drafters that were drafting ticklevossen is like the interaction between your base equipment and your evos and what you're looking for can really change based on what you see early. So if you, you know, you take some Evos early and it looks like you can go into Teclavossen, the Evos that you take in particular can really change the base equipment that you want to draft afterwards because of the interaction with the Evos, especially like the instant speed Evos, whether you're looking for Blade Break, whether you're looking for like the cog work that have the kind of value and also even, um, you know, like, I guess what um, what spot you're looking for in those in is is really relevant. So whether it's a head that's an instant, so you want the the base equipment that references that, or you know it's like you have one of the ones that's not instant speed, so you don't really care about blade break um, in your chest spot, for instance, because your main chest spot is going to be one of the three defense ones, for instance. So um, yeah, tickle boss is really interesting. I'm I'm excited to see 
more with it. I'm almost at the point where I'm like, if I don't get to draft much more, I'm going to find it very difficult to draft Tickle Boston at a high level, I think, and I might just avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the, before we get into dashes, why are block cards good in this format? Why? Well, fundamentally, the, the first reason block cards are good is, is overpower, right? And the interaction between um, the Evos being effectively equipment and uh, action cards. So you can't, you can't block with an Evo on board and an action card from hand, right? Into overpower. So effectively, that's the, the main reason block is good. Um, just the fundamental interaction. But also, like, some of them are slightly above rate, right? Like, Firewall is the rare as a 0 for 4. Um, some of these can turn into 0 for 5s with, with Galvanize at red, for instance. So um, depending on the deck you're drafting and also the deck you're playing into, you can get a lot of value out of these out of these block cards. Tarek, do you, do you think... Do, what are your thoughts on block cards in the format? Uh, I personally haven't you know, played with them because of my lack of experience, but in theory, they're good, right? Like you would play a sync below in a draft format if it had no text. Uh, just good math cards are always fundamental in, in Flesh and Blood whenever you're going into new format. Now, I, I will say straight up that I also don't fully understand Tekla Vossen on a theoretical level yet. When I read a lot of the cards, obviously the evils are insane if you go turn zero and play them. Like you're just at such a massive advantage. But I mean, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hayden or, or Brendan, because you guys have more experience here than I do, but they seem really below rate if you play it on any other turn below, but other than turn zero, which then kind of pigeonholes you where if you want to do that kind of boost strategy and kind of play that mid-range game, you're then playing from behind and really need an mm -hmm. off turn from the other two heroes. I can tell you when they're uh, on rate, uh, you boost it. You pitch a blue out of hand, you play it, and then you draw a card, right? So you didn't lose the card at that sense. And then you, like the Evo, the actual Evo benefit is sort of just a cherry on top. And then you also, you block with it. Let's say it blocks for two. It's not ideal, um, but maybe you have one that blocks for three. And then you scrap it and you get a junkyard dog scrap. And it's you get an additional point of damage off of that as well. I think that in most cases, you really don't want to play it out of hand. Like that's like a losing scenario. It's kind of like blocking with wounded bolts. It's possible, but it's just not ideal. Um, I think you want to boost it away, pitch a blue, play it, draw a card, um, or block with it get an additional point of value off it by scrapping it. Ideally, something like Junkyard Dog, which is giving you that additional value and do the same thing. And I think that's how you play Evos. Uh, and that's why I think it's more conducive to, a, to an aggressive strategy. That's, um, that's getting back to parity on the card. It's not necessarily getting a... a, 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 a above the rate, right? To 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 Tarek's point. Like so if you ever play one out of hand and it's not turn zero, um, yeah, you, you are gonna lose value. Like you need your opponent to have taken an off turn or you need to be getting like the value of the card that otherwise wouldn't have blocked, right? So to Brennan's point, it needs to the best way to get to parity or to like kind of even value on the cards, honestly, is 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 through that way. The way you get above rate, right, is that you your weapon starts to become above rate. Right. That that's the real kind of like crux of it, right? But honestly if this format is really synergy based and like if you you can get really punished for evos like I, I i'm glad like tick and feels really balanced in this format even to the point like it does scare me a little bit to draft this hero because i'm not certain that if i don't have a deck that i feel is like b plus kind of a minus territory like i could just have a really bad time against all the decks that just have better synergy and and can punish me for these kind of on on the surface of it bad cards in my in my deck right um that's how i feel i just wanted to say one last thing on block cards by the way in previous formats like uh where kind of numbers have been good block cards can absolutely punish you in this format a little bit if you are someone like max like one of those archetypes that's more aggressive like i talked about even the tickler vossen archetype that brennan's talking a little bit about the block cards can absolutely punish you especially like it's a red card that blocks yeah sure but it's not doing what you need it to do on certain turns and synergy is really important mm -hmm. in this format well i want to talk about why block cards are also good math wise um so zero like if you think about block card it's just a you know, just zero for four. And that, that's what you said. You're like, oh, it's on rate, but zero for four is actually not that great, right? If it was only zero for four, but it's zero for four, it doesn't consume an action point, right? Usually you have to pay with your action point for a zero for four and block cards don't do that. Is that correct? Yeah, but also uh, what I found in this one is actually like getting zero for four out of that block card is not actually as easy as it looks. Like you're like, oh, zero for four. But often, you know, because all the weapons uh, and how they attack for two and three, you're not actually, and there's a lot of boost cards at three, you're not actually always honestly able to get the full full value out of it. Um, and then also if you draw it on a hand where you're like your opponent kind of sets up an item or takes a semi-off turn 
and you you really need to be careful sometimes you just have to block with it because you're like well if they just set up an item after this and i'm left with this block card in my hand it's you can't arsenal it like that is that mm-hmm. is actually the balancing point of of the block cards is like you cannot arsenal them because you can't play them out of arsenal so that's the balancing point as opposed to a defense reaction that's why i think block cards are so fascinating so interesting i actually think they're super balanced in this format and i i think on the surface of it they look like they should be an auto include every time a really high draft card but they're not this this the dissynergistic nature of the cards in certain decks the fact you can't arsenal them the fact you can't always get the full value of them sometimes you you have to block them first otherwise you could just potentially like lose value is is really relevant mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because you said uh, on first look it looks like an auto include i was I was definitely coming back from like my initial evaluation. I was definitely a block card hater. Like I was like, oh, this card sucks. Because uh, I was like, it's only playable red. And even then it's like, um, you're going to be playing like, it's it maybe not conducive to your strategy unless you're really planning to do like, you know, two card block, two card attack, sort of, et cetera. It's like, you could really draw it on the wrong turn and yeah. then it's a big dud. Um, speaking of bad cards. But they are they are playable at blue though, sorry. Mm-hmm. They are playable at blue. Just to point out, like, because they are blue cards that you do want resource cards in your deck and against overpower, because it means that you can actually double lock and stop breakpoints in the end game. Like there are cards that you can play for resources early and then use as a, bl- as a card for defense late game to to kind of negate overpower to a degree when your opponent kind of loses value to go all in on an overpower attack. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just wanted to throw that out there. Well, I was going to say, speaking of putting bad cards in our deck, let's talk about items because apparently Dash IO is, is pretty good. Dash IO is not a is not a hero I've had a lot of experience with, but you know Dash IO is balanced on the on the axis. I mean, it has eighteen life as well that you are putting a bunch of cards or a critical mass of cards that don't block into your deck right so you have the ability to play them off the top of your deck at instant speed but you know drawing the incorrect sequence of them having too many in in hand i'm assuming can lead to some pretty bad experiences when your opponent is playing a very aggressive deck why has your why has your sort of play with dash io been been so positive talk to me about the keys to the hero and how it how it succeeds in the draft format for me starting off Dash IO was the the hero that made the most sense to me in theory, just from a mathematical point of view, right? Let's talk about the most obvious one where it's boom grenade, okay? Everybody knows that a single card for four points of damage is really above rate. And the fact that you can play it off the top of your deck for a single resource means that it's a third of a card for four points of damage, right? So if you multiply that out, if you had, let's say, a hand of two uh, zipper hits and then a boom grenade, that's 14 damage off of three cards, which if you put that in context, a red glacial footsteps is three cards for 10 damage. So you're four points above a glacial footstep and you get a pistol shot out of it still. So you're threatening 16 damage off of three cards, which is just like a hugely above rate, right? Um, that Hadron Collider is not far off of that. If you swap you know, a one uh, resource attack for a zero, um, you get very similar math to, to Boom Grenade, but it's might be even slightly better because it's not conditional to the on-hit. So a lot of the math behind just getting a free card off Dash.io just kind of made sense to my brain. Whereas you talked about it more, Brendan, I think you're right about Teclavasen, and I, I have to go back to the drawing board because intuitively the math is a little bit more uh, muddled, I guess uh, is the appropriate word, where I didn't fully appreciate some of the synergies. And after you and Hayden talked about it, I have to go back and reevaluate it. Yeah, yeah. Tech of Austin's an interesting one to crack. I think that, and I'll get back to Dash. I promise. I think uh, one of the biggest, <laughs> I think one of the biggest issues with Tech of Austin is there is a sort of uh, misnomer is the incorrect word, which is a funny word to use incorrectly. But there is a there is sort of a sentiment. Uh, surrounding Tech of Austin, which I think is, is incorrect, which is just fatigue, defensive, etc. Um, I think if you play Tech of Austin that way, he's going to feel very mid because that's a very mid strategy to take with Tech of Austin. Tech of Austin can just simply get the most value out of out of boosting cards, right? And you can look at it as some a sort of way to free roll of that, and then you end up with a very powerful weapon in the late game. All right, Dash IO. Um, I don't really think I, about the map. I want to add on to what mm-hmm. I want to add on to what Tarek said, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. about about that. Like you asked the question to Tarek, which was like, what is you know, or actually Tarek said what the, the math of it. Uh, free weapon is pretty good, right? Like, obviously, it's not directly free, but you're mm-hmm. you're utilizing um, your items. It, also, you talked about Tickle Boss and the defensive strategy. I actually think my first initial in, intake, or my first, sorry, take, is that Dash is the better of the defensive heroes, to be honest. Interesting. Um, because of the value you can uh, sort of incorporate off the top of your deck. Um, but then i kind of rethought that with the second draft when i saw someone get absolutely punished for having like multiple items in their hand and the they're not playing proactively so i do think again 
there's multiple archetypes i think within heroes and i could be completely wrong right and this is why i don't listen back to episodes because if i'm wrong then i don't ever find out that i said these things so it's fine they don't exist but i think there is multiple archetypes within heroes and i think dash has a couple you can be quite proactive or you can be a little bit more defensive but yeah the amount of like obviously items you get to play off the top of your deck is directly going to correlate to the value you get in a game and so like the items have to to make sense from that standpoint but obviously they're also giving you the the weapon attacks and the the first time you attack with a weapon twice in a turn to like just leak damage it feels so good as dash io the first time you just like i get to play this item off the top it gets me the extra action point because i cranked it i'm gonna use it anyway and then i also get to attack my weapon twice and it just leaks the damage it's just like oh this feels this feels so good the value and dash from like a again from a math standpoint <clears throat> just feels just feels so good um, mm. all the time it, and it really makes sense that he starts that um dash starts with uh, sorry she starts with 18 life Harp, what was your example again on the three card 13 uh it was boom grenade off the top red uh-huh. so uh like assuming you have a three card hand like you you've blocked with the card already you pitch a blue uh you go you know zipper hit zipper hit that's 10 boom grenade off the top uh 14 and then plus okay. two for the so for it's the... it's it's three card 10 because you play it okay because you played at the top so you still pitch the you pitch the one card right because you have to pay the additional resource for dash's ability uh but you free roll the card off the top so well free roll you, you pay the resource i mean i didn't really think about dash's math that explicitly if that's the correct word so when you when you say it like that it makes a like that gets me excited because those are the kind of decks i like to play these like these decks they got they got really good math but you know they might be a little dog shit if you have too many too many bad cards in hand that's uh that gets me excited dark but uh yeah i didn't think about it like that um or at least i didn't break it down uh that quantitatively Ooh. The floor on even the bad items is really high, right? Like every yeah, item, yeah. because of what Hayden said, is at least two damage because of the pistol. So even the bad items are like, even the ward items are worth like their face value in ward plus two damage. It can sometimes be like a single resource for five points of net block and attack value, which is also just fundamentally really good. Hmm. that's the thing that we kind of discovered after the first draft was like looking be like man these blue items seem bad oh never mind they're actually not bad like because you get the two off of them you pay one resource for it you can also if you have a galvanized card you can chuck it to the galvanized for effectively like plus one sometimes plus two depending on what the item is um you know you're getting a reasonable you're getting like at least more than a card return on on it which is is good like on on your one resource so i'll take that so where where in play in play patterns and your experience does the um the play experience detract from the fundamentals that are those math like have you been have you run into experience where you have drawn too many items and you've gotten pummeled by some aggressive deck or your deck felt a bit clunky etc yeah drawing items it's the it's the hero that gets the most punished by variance of your draws i think Mm-hmm. um the replacement value of the cards in your hand an item versus non-item card is is so high comparative to a lot of other decks where it's like a boost card but it blocks three so it can kind of do whatever or whatever it might be so i, I that's that's what it is it's just like how many times like <clears throat> when i played my dash mirror against sasha the first five turns i didn't have an item on top of my deck mm-hmm. and he had four out of five items i was like cool that's, nice game that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tark, anything to chime in on that when playing Dash.io was, uh, like, did you run into the experience where, you know, your play experience sort of detracted from the fundamentals, which look very appealing, but uh, maybe didn't play out quite like that? I I agree with Hayden. When you draw items, that's when I think the delta of when you draft good items versus bad items really come to to fruition. Because if you just have good items, the math on them is actually still okay if you play them for hand. Like a red Hadron Collider, a red Boom Grenade are still more than okay to be playing from hand. You actually don't lose too much in terms of value. Uh, it's when your deck is full of the you know sub-tier uh, items like uh, yellow, uh, what's it called, backup protocols, or uh, like the blue ward cards that you've drawn mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. you can't pitch because you have redundant blues that's mm-hmm. when you really get punished so i think if you draft really good items and you're lucky to be one of like two dashes then your deck's probably just going to be okay no matter where the items are if you're one of three and it gets kind of dicey a little bit more punishing mm. any um just to just to close out here any two card ish maybe three card combos you guys um found in draft that you that were that seemed very powerful one one card combo uh to a degree depending on like the deck i think mhz script is like um a lot better than i thought it was at face value especially in um 
decks where you do have to care about the density of your deck. This is the one that gives your um, your mechanologist attack actions go again. I was like, oh, this card seems kind of seems oh, kind yeah. of bad, but like in dash, for instance, where you can like get the the counter on the pistol, and then you can also then keep the like the the density of your your deck to where you want it to be, um, is is actually like better than I thought. It's not always gonna be relevant. But I just thought that card was better. I thought that card was gonna be unplayable. And that card is uh, you know only a sealed card, but that card's actually pretty reasonable in draft. Mm. Um, and then I mean, some of the best two card combos are just like the galvanized cards. To to be mm. honest, like with with items that you get the value from. Um, immediately and then they would die in your start of turn phase so you've already yeah. got all the value from them i'd really be interested if someone could run the hypogeo magic math on the number of items in your deck versus having it on top but also considering that you have one to two boost cards in hand in order to filter the top of the deck by boosting the top off and potentially seeing that item that would be good math if someone could do that anyway why don't you do that uh, no i'm not smart <laughs> enough for that <laughs> all right Tarek. uh any any like single card or two card combos that you, that you sort of faced i mean another card that i thought that was going to overperform is penetration script i just haven't seen it yet it's like the micro cmh is what i call it yeah chamba heroic for for mechnologist um i don't think i'm familiar enough with the format yet to really get a definitive combo the one card that really was impressive to me was the zero for three scrap that made um a quicken token mm. and there were a lot of combinations with uh dash and setting up big pistol turns um so i think that card particularly in the dash strategy was a little bit higher on my list um but i'm gonna put this question on ice for now because i'm still learning the format myself mm -hmm. I've got a few other kind of interactions, I guess, just on that. Like you talked about the scrap cards, like scrap prospector and dash is really nice. This is pretty gas one card hand when you just play a zero for three and then you get a resource to play your item off the zero cost item off the top, for instance. Um, I think those scrap cards are, are better than they look. Um, and then there's just on some of the, there's a couple other cards I think are quite interesting and, and worth people considering. Um, is like backup protocol, particularly red, is really good. Like getting, getting back your best card to just set up late game um, or even just, you know sometimes even like max you like crank it then you get back a zero cost for your two resources and you still have one resource afterwards to attack with your weapon for instance like it, it is it is a relevant card that can can do something um and then the the last one was um uh, just two blues an attack and one of the majestic evos it's a pretty good combo <laughs> the majestic evos are effed <laughs> those things are crazy um anyway Tarek, the blue one yeah 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 i want to i want to thank you for coming on the podcast once again um great friend of the pod always always have awesome conversations with you um look forward to seeing you in dallas and look forward to seeing you at worlds in barcelona um both of which are upcoming i know you'll be staying with me for dallas which is going to be quite an experience bro you're gonna love it um <laughs> anyway. you won't. i'm so sorry Tarek. <laughs> aiden was supposed to be here too it's supposed to be real fun anyway um, well, why do you think i'm not coming <laughs> for people listening uh what are you up to where can they find you um etc yeah, thanks for having me again, guys. Uh, if you like my writing, I'm currently writing an article about Classic Constructed Dash IO on ChannelFireball.com. You can find that. Uh, hopefully, it'll be done tonight and out in a couple of days. And then I'll have some thoughts about the metagame once Lexi kind of LLs hitting into Worlds. So if you want to see me, follow me on Twitter or head over to ChannelFireball.com. Mm, big question, though. Are you playing Lexi in Dallas? Uh, I am, yes. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. For those of you listening on Pond Flat platforms, there is a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. If you enjoy the podcast, the number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Um, we appreciate it very much. Big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. You help us do what we do on a week-to-week -week basis, basis. So thank you for all of your support. And until next time, we'll see you next week. Bye.